0: Welcome to Wisdom Personified, conversations with Dudum Somi, a passionate and relentless pursuit of exploring how individuals use good judgment in everyday life, both in their personal and professional lives. Today, I'm speaking to Wenang Mohale. He is the CEO of Business Leadership South Africa, but we know him as the son of the soil, a very amazing African, and I'm very curious to pick his brain in terms of what he thinks of wisdom. Mr. Mohale, how are you?
1: Exceptionally well, and thank you for having me. When I say
0: wisdom, what do you think of? What does wisdom mean to you?
1: I think of my grandmother, about what used to bellow from her lips, uh, life experiences packed into little sayings. It is much more than being intelligent or clever. It it is about being street wise. It's about having been there. It's about demonstrable track record. Therefore, for me, wisdom is knowing things almost intuitively, even though you have not personally gone through that particular experience, purely from the genus and what life has thrown at you, and the resilience and the capacity you've built.
0: Because I think a lot of us are spending a lot of time reading, um, going through YouTube, and then spouting um, words of wisdom. So that's what we think, that's wisdom. So it's interesting to hear your perspective. I'm also curious, in terms of pastimes when you were a child, how did you keep yourself
1: occupied? First survival, because if you grew up in the township, from a family of seven. I think you learned it from the womb, that this is about competition. When they buy a loaf of brown bread, you know it's going to be consumed in the course of a morning. It has no opportunity to stay in the fridge to a point where it expires. Secondly, it's about keeping one engaged. So when I was young, I, I ran, I'm still a runner, uh, jogging, some people call it, and I played chess. Strategy is simply defined as how to compete. Yeah, it's a it's a game of war. Yeah, uh, we compete at both country, company, and individual level. Okay. So if you learn to play chess, that's where the wisdom of Sun Tzu's art of war comes from. In fact, even the terms that we use in strategy, all of them are mid- militaristic.
0: I appreciate that your upbringing had some challenges. Yeah. But as a teenager, what vision did you have for your life? And the way your life has unfolded, has that come true? And what is missing, if anything is missing?
1: The one driving, unwavering ambition I've always had is this burning desire to be better able to look after my mum. Because my mother was the matriarch. She's the one who taught me how to plant and be patient and see the harvest i painted the house with her i built a little stoop uh, with her she taught me how to cook how to prepare fire i don't remember doing those things with my father even though he was uh, mm. okay. in my life but <laughs> not present in the moment so most of the things when i opened my eyes it was through the strong mom that she was an entrepreneur who made sure that we were ready for school, uh, that we had shoes, that we had something to eat, uh, bought my first camera. So I thought and looked around the township and said, who are the people who earn the most money, probably in the shortest period of time? And to me, um, that that was medical doctors, clinicians, uh, practic- uh, practitioners or GPs. Yeah. Um, and. And, and I went to medical school, and I wanted the best medical school in my thought at that time, so I went to vet's medical school to start to study MBBCH. Now, upon reflection, I think um, it was all ma- part of a master plan because I never really practiced. Yeah. I ended up being a manager. I think I am now better able to look after my mother probably 10 times more yeah. than it. I'd, I'd become a clinician. Yeah. So to be able to do the impossible one must be able to see the invisible and I think I saw the invisible potential in the centerpiece of the pupils of my mother's eyes and that gave me hope and I knew at that moment that I could be anything that I wanted to be because here was this woman who's unlearned and unlettered, but would never go home hungry. Would never go to bed and I'm sure
0: empty. you gave her mm. the life that you wanted
1: I tried to the best of my ability we bought her first home yeah. in an apartment we thought it was safe Susan and I because I got married at 17 um, and she enjoyed it two bedroom houses living alone beautifully furnished um, in a former white area when she came to our home uh, in Cape Town, and saw Susan's triple-storey house uh, at 1 Dalsak Road, Fahib Wom in Debenville. She came back and said, I don't want that house. I want a better one. So Susan and I bought her a three-bedroomed house, yeah. 4,000 square a meter a yard, and she absolutely enjoyed she it, it until her ultimate uh, demise on the 27th of November 2015.
0: So beside the passion you have for your mother, for your work and country... You are very passionate about your wife, Susan. There is nobody (laughs) who knows you that doesn't know Susan. And it's not very um, normal for a business leader to be so expressive. Why are you this expressive?
1: Maybe I don't know any other way. Mm. Here's a woman who looked at me. I had nothing, not even potential. And I said, I want to get married to you at 17. And she thought I was smoking something. Three weeks later... 17
0: years. Yeah, she looked at
1: me and said, "Mm, maybe you might be serious. But she didn't say anything. I sent my uncles. And she ultimately acquiesced. This is the best decision I have ever made in my entire life. Mm. Because it shaped, it described, it defined, it modified who I am. It gave me purpose, a singularity of intent... And it allowed me to do stuff, because when you're 19, you now have a daughter, you have somebody to look after, you're thinking of a roof over my head, you're thinking of curtains, of furniture. So by the time I was 23, I owned my own home uh, in in a good area, uh, made of first brick, and with a toilet inside, and a bathroom, um, and a a proper kitchen, uh, with an under-counter oven, an extractor fan. Mm -hmm. This was much better. Yeah. than my father and my mother could do combined
0: that detail is amazing
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's why i think i'm very explicit yeah. about the fact that i'm eternally grateful to susan mm. on the 24th of august we celebrated our 37th wedding anniversary i look at her and i say i'm happy and you are married The two of us are called happily married. married. Yes, but she has not traded me in for a younger, cleverer, much more hardworking young man and probably wealthier. Uh, She's tolerated me. She's taught me patience. She's taught me humility. Because remember, I became the managing director of the world's biggest and oldest elevator company in 1996. Mm. Just two years after the dawn of our democracy, before it was fashionable mm. to have South Africans managing South African companies. Here I was managing a multinational, not only looking after South Africa, but after Africa. Mm. 33 of the then 53 African countries, first three years I reported to Paris, the last two to Madrid, a boy from Catalonia. I knew that there is a God somewhere. Mm.
0: How do you keep your skills and knowledge uh, current so that you're effective in any position that you occupy?
1: My grandmother used to say, when a student is ready, a teacher will appear. Nature is a wonderful metaphor for business. I learn from those that are my colleagues. I learn from those that report to me. I learn from those that I look up to. The Lord matuke and love of this world. Um, The rule-causer... Uh, of this world, the Khumeleni uh, But also, I learn uh, from my two daughters uh, who have gone to good schools, better education, because they've taught me the significance of the intersectionality uh, between gender, race, and class. They've taught me that it cannot be true that all that God ever made was to make the male and female, that there's everything um, in between. I learn from a piece about going to probably Europe's best business school and she comes back with the humility uh, of royalty mm-hmm. uh, that the best amongst us lead with a heart uh, of a servant uh, i continue to learn from my grandmother who taught me to internalize the fact that sons learn by looking at the back of the heads of their fathers. Therefore, that I should strive to be a better role model to my own son, better than my father had been to me, because that is progress moving forward in space and in time.
0: Mm. Um, What book have you read this year so far, and what impression did it leave?
1: On you? I'm a voracious reader. Mm-hmm. I read anything. Maybe
0: anything. I should get my top 10 for the year from you, shouldn't mm-hmm. I? You will I give it to me, yeah. Yes, okay. absolutely.
1: Um, at the moment, I've just writ, uh, written a chapter uh, for the second iteration of Mangali, so Robert Sobuka's book, mm-hmm. um, written by Benjamin uh, Pogrand, Oh, yeah, a Jewish young man. Mm. Uh, who gave birth to an incredible good quality human being, uh, Gideon Pogrant. I
0: met him actually Mm. in Jerusalem, like two years
1: ago. You're very blessed.
0: I know, it was a exceptional dinner. mm.
1: Because Mangali Robert Sobukwe's ideas were so potent and so dangerous to the National Party that he was the only prisoner who was not allowed to mix with other prisoners at Robben Island. Mandela was allowed Uh, to be on the courtyard and to be on the limestone with other prisoners, not Mangali. So Robert Sobuke. he was in solitary confinement. He's the only South African that when his term of incarceration expired, the National Party went to cabinet and enacted a new law called the Subuke Clause to keep him there. He ultimately died in prison. He was not allowed to be recorded. Therefore, there is no living recording of uh, Mangali Soyo, uh, Robert Sobuke, uh, only pictures before uh, the 60s uh, pass um, uh, march and uh, the-, the Sharpeville uh, massacre that was fronted, organized, uh, facilitated uh, by the PAC. Isn't it said that history is up to the temporary occupants of the corridors of power and as black people, this ANC-led government could have done more to palette, highlight, and celebrate the giants like uh, Steve Bikwe uh, and, uh, and, and Mangali Robert Sobukwe. And, and of course, uh, not only Albertina Sisulu, um, but also uh, Nomzamo Winfred Matigizel Mandela.
0: But we can do that. We, you know, As individuals, as business leaders, we can make investments in our own history and in our own people. Absolutely. It's an
1: opportunity. And again, it was my grandmother who used to say, until and unless lions have their own storytellers, yeah. stories about hunting will always glorify the hunter. So context is everything.
0: Yeah.
1: The context in South Africa today, 24 years into democracy, is the one that says the majority of black people and women are still spectators of their own lived experiences that we speak about gender equality and yet we still pay women 73% of what we pay men for work of equal value. That these young children, uh, hashtag everything must fall, are now teaching us that nothing, even if it is for us, about us, uh, without us. Um, That in a country that has so much in terms of wealth, but also in terms of just resources. We still have 17 million people on social security and only 15 million are gainfully employed. That more than 92% of the students in Fort A are totally dependent uh, for their livelihood, not just tuition and accommodation or NESFAs. If there was no NESFAs, they would go to bed hungry. That 30% of all uh, students in institutions of higher learning uh, are Are technically malnourished, are hungry uh, because they don't have enough to eat. That you go to vets and you see black students uh, when others are going home, they are going to the toilets to see where they can sleep. That there's a system where boxes are put strategically at some points where those that can drop sandwiches, and that is their supper. And they do that for the whole year. They graduate. And in, say, 23 years of schooling, they can afford to buy a house uh, in the leafy suburbs of Branston. Not because they got a tender, because they lifted themselves up by their own bootstraps. I think that's what gives us hope. That's what gives me resilience. In a country where we're talking about land, 39,000 white farmers, only 2,250 black farmers, and yet for 24 years, what have we been doing? Yeah. What have we been prioritizing? Especially because during Cordessa 1, when it collapsed and we went to Quadessa 2, there were four outstanding issues that our negotiators and therefore our forebears said, if we don't see common cause, we must take uh, to the referendum. One was education. The second was language. The third was the right to strike. The fourth and the most seminal for me was the issue of land. It is going
0: to be September when
1: um, we
0: celebrate Heritage Month in this country. And it is a question in terms of what legacy are we building as individuals, as leaders. When I say leader and I call you a leader, what does that conjure up in your mind? Do you embrace that title and why do you embrace it?
1: Isn't it amazing that today the father that gave us this democracy... Is known everywhere else in the world as Nelson Mandela. Um, cities are named after him. Freedoms of uh, most metropolitans have been given to him. There's a university, streets, etc. And yet, when he was born, he was Holisat. His own teacher said it will be less Nelson yeah. because our God will not be able to pronounce Holisat. That a lot of us are born Bonang, and the very priests who are supposed to pray for us, say, but Jesus won't be able to pronounce Bonang. Therefore, I'll give you a new Christian name. You'll be known as Donatilius Francis of Assisi, that we have forgotten about Nonsi But we talk about um, this amazing warrior of a woman by English name. We spoke about Mangaliso. The world knows him as Robert. Robert. Um, and, and we haven't really owned um, the strength in our name. If your name is Sipo, uh, which means gift, if a white person t- said to you Cfo, which means a disease, you can see how just by focusing and hearing and listening to what our forebears were trying to say to us, not only about our pot- potential, but about our own provenance in our names, and yet we have forsaken all of that. To me, I think that's the beginning of leadership. So when one thinks of this word leadership, it's much more profound than just management. It's about being genuinely obsessed with the development of others. It's about creating movement. It's about influence. It's about choosing whether you are going to use positional power
0: yeah.
1: or whether you are going to To be a force for good, because once you have tasted significance, importance no longer matters. Because we choose to be what type of leaders. Some of us, we want to be decisive, we want to be uh, charismatic. Uh, Some of us want to be consultative and participative. Some of us, I think, are humbled by the fact that we have an opportunity to say, can I spend my first third of my life? learning and reading, so that I can spend the middle third of my life earning to get a bit of money, because it allows us to do stuff, so that the last third of my life I can spend it sharing what I've learned, sharing what I know, lifting as I rise, but also being concerned about what type of legacy I'm going to leave. So that on a composite basis, you leave this world much better than you found it in. That the only impact you can have is with other human beings. It's about recognizing humanity in oneself before you can see it in others. And once you see it in others, you palette, highlight, and celebrate this. Because there is indeed a miracle in every single solitary one of us. Because the Bible said we are all created equal in God's image. So how then can you say I'm a Christian and still have supported apartheid for 350 years?
0: Is there a behavior or a trait that you've seen in leaders that trip them up, um, that derail them? What is that behavior or trait and how can you advise aspirant leaders not to fall foul of the same?
1: For me, I think there's a little bit of science in how we apply leadership. There are some of us who are fortunate to be born into leadership positions. But I think it's a learned trait because patience and humility can be learned even though you are born arrogant. So for me it's about having some sort of a compelling vision, even if it's just for yourself. Because people follow leaders that they think have earned their respect are going to take them to a nirvana that up until then they've never been able to to, be able to paint in such vivid terms and colors so that they can see that tomorrow can be better than today. Secondly, it's about having courage, the courage of your own conviction, irrespective of consequences, to know the difference between truth and evil, to choose to be on the side of the angels. And then lastly, it's about integrity. This is the one that is less sexy, and we don't speak about it that much. It's about living a life of wholesomeness. It's about wanting to do the right things, not just things right. It's about accepting and emboldening the fact that you have been in the presence of dignified greatness. And how then do you compliment? that greatness, because all of us are an average of the company that we keep. Therefore, if you want to soar with eagles, why then do you graze uh, with with chickens? Uh, That to me is a conscious, purposeful, deliberate uh, choice uh, that we make the same way that we choose our friends and the ones that depress us, suck us dry of energy, we delete them at the end of the of the year, and we we unfollow them
0: oh similarly so you do your, your audit every year
1: I think so okay because if you don't do that, you don 't have an opportunity uh, for renewal and then lastly, I think leadership is about extending trust it's about stro- talking straight um, it 's about palating, highlighting and celebrating others it's about catching your people doing the right thing and saying, how can I put you on the rooftops? It is about quietly admonishing in private, uh, but praising in public. It's about building and creating because it's much more difficult. Because tearing down and destroying is that much easier. It takes 30 years uh, to build a home. It takes 30 seconds uh, to implode it with one hand grenade. And sometimes it's just a spoken word. Sometimes it's just the way you have behaved uh, in a particular incident. So it's about knowing that as a leader, you are under the spotlight, it's a laser focus. Because if you're going to call yourself a role model, it's about accepting that you are always watched on Saturday and Sunday, um, even at small street when you are wearing your flip flops and your shorts and how you engage and interact with your two daughters. It's about how you look after your parents. It's how you relate to your in-laws. All of those, I think, contribute in making us the type of leaders that we are praying for.
0: Looking at your career, what impact and influence have you made in corporate South Africa that you are very proud of, that you can highlight for me?
1: I think the ability to humble oneself and to learn from those that came before you, but also to be curious, to say, can we do more? Can we achieve more? What else is missing? Can I help my people to be able to see around corners? I'm now privileged to be a leader of leaders, a CEO of 86 other CEOs of major companies, most of them listed on the JSE, to have the opportunity to write a new strategy. And that strategy that says is going to be architectured on partnerships because we want to position business as a trusted advisor, a partner of choice, doing everything possible in our power to make this ANC-led government a capable state because we have learned that it's easier to deal with a capable state than one that is less capable. And this strategy that now rests on three pillars and you can see how we carefully chose the words. The first pillar talks about an inclusive socioeconomic growth and transformation. It's a bit tautologous, but who are we wanting to include? Women and black people. Very clear, you can't fudge it and say, we are going to be alive to transformation imperatives. It means we are going to invest in black-owned businesses. That's how explicit we want to be. Secondly, it says we are about the protection of key state institutions. Because there's no use in saying we've got the best constitution in the world, and yet we want to kill the former public protector, Tulema Donzel, because she did dare to produce a state of capture report into inkandla We need to protect the IEC. We need to protect the judiciary. We need to protect this constitution. We need to protect all those independent institutions that are described in chapter 9 of our constitution. And then lastly, we say, can we position business as a national asset? Not only to be obsessed with profits and greed, but there's a greater good in job creation When a father can say, I've educated my own kids, now they can have homes that are better than the ones that I can provide. It's only when the people of Alexander feel compelled to defend business as a force for good, realizing this notion of shared value, that one of the key challenges facing boards today in their governance and oversight responsibilities is how to ensure that corporate decision-making is consistent not only with the whims of the shareholders, but takes into account the wishes of the broader stakeholder community, of labor, of the community where you have a presence, but also is consistent with the commitments made by the executives, because that's how we measure their impact. To be totally and absolutely objective about their abilities and capabilities, not because we are from the same clan or from the same struggle. But can they do the job to help us take the bottom half and put them into the middle class? Because that's what all of us are concerned about. It cannot be that 90% of the wealth of this country is owned by 1% of the population. It cannot be sustainable. We talk about being the most unequal society in the world and we talk about the Gini coefficient of 0.7. But all we are referring to is income inequality. Has anybody looked at wealth inequality? Because that is 0.95. It says there are some people in their three lifetimes will never be able to have the assets that allows them financial independence. No wonder there's such femicide against women and violence against women, because we have not given them the tools to be themselves and to be independent. We've made them forever dependent on these men that are abusive. And it's about what type of conversations we're having as South Africans. It's as ridiculous as saying, but a white man can't be racist because he's married to a black woman. But we don't say the same thing about men that are married to women, that they can be sexist. So what type of South Africa that we're creating, that we lay laying the foundation one brick at a time, so that our children and daughters can feel safe at 11 o'clock at night to walk freely because they want to walk their Maltese Poodles or they want to be physically fit or they are just lazy to take a bus and they want to walk from this block to that block. But unfortunately, even as a man around GP Street in downtown Jubek, I am uncomfortable to walk around the block with my cell phone bulging and my wallet on the other pocket because it is possible that somebody might want to take my shoes. It is a sad state of affairs indeed, 24 years into democracy, that we haven't focused on those matrices that improve the quality of lives of the majority of our people.
0: Do you think um, that you are always seen as a credible voice for black people in terms of their experience because sometimes when you have achieved in corporate South Africa you you come across as assimilated, that you don't you're not trusted in terms of are you really looking after the interests do you get comments of maybe being perceived as a sellout or um, that if you have him in our space, he will make things palatable but nothing will change how do you live with the contradiction of your image in public?
1: You know, you raise one of the most profound things that are confronting black managers. Because if you think about it, the people that put you in that position, who are white, don't like you. They don't want to share the same toilet with you. They don't want you to eat in the same canteen with them. But they are forced to buy laws now, because years ago, they were quite comfortable. And you were not excluded because you don't earn the same salary as they do. You're excluded because you're black. And you claim to represent these black people, the workers, mm. because you are from them. You are of them. And you feel and know their pain. And yet they don't trust you. Because they think you are better off. Yeah. You speak English with these people. You go to their board meetings. They don't trust what you are saying. Mm. So the most stressed human being in this country at this time is a black middle manager, because you get instructions, you are supposed to relay them down, and that down looks at you and say, are you really part of us? Because we can't relate to this. But I'm very comfortable that revolutions are always driven by the proletariat. They're not started in stadia but in the smoke-filled rooms of eight, no more than ten people. Because those are the people that are better informed. It's about palatting, highlighting, and celebrating the fact that we did go to school, we worked harder, we applied ourselves, and we graduated. The test is how are we using that. We need to accept that we are part of the elite. Because the majority of South Africans, 37 million of them, live on less than 1,000 combined household income per month. Therefore, we are really privileged and yeah. blessed. Okay. Is how we use that privilege. Can we have conversations with our white compatriots that says, can you pause for a moment to listen? To listen, not to defend. Listen to genuinely hear. Pause for a moment so that you don't speak on behalf of the marginalized, the excluded, the oppressed, the subjugated. But to allow their voices to come through. Can you find it within the goodness of your heart? With your checkbook bulging to go to Orange Farm and not say, I'm going to build you a swimming pool. But to say, what do you need? What is the most urgent? What is the one that will have the most impact? And you pause as they plead back to you. And once you get it, you then say, I think their need is here, and you fulfill that need. Then, and only then, would have end their right to be able to speak for ourselves, but also for our children, but also to speak for the low, for those that are downtrodden. Because we went to vets. There are some people who went to the University of Venda. We went to University of Cape Town. There are those that went to the University of Tertflop, the resources were not the same. The expectation cannot be that the output is the same. It's a miracle that the outputs from those universities are as brilliant, as great, as magnificent and magnanimous as they are. But we haven't done much to really invest in them. So in a country where we are still spending 100 rand on a white child, 75 rand on a colored child, 45 on an Indian child and only 10 rand on an African child. Is there no shame in saying we haven't pushed back the sources of our poverty? We haven't pushed back this that is holding and chaining our people into this self-perpetuating vicious cycle of abject poverty. So I'm comfortable in my skin that I am part of the leadership that they can relate to, that they can recognize, that says, there's a boy from Katalon behind the post office who struggled just like us, who really gets it, but is not only speaking for himself, but is speaking also for the people that come from Kato. And he's using his position to say, whilst he's a temporary occupant of this office, can improve the quality of lives of our people. So it's about Carol Hunt, who was my PA, who went on to become a supervisor and the first woman to be on Exco. It's about Nelson Sitoli who used to be my driver, now owns his own company, called LOKIWE, and started with 15 cars, 27 right. drivers, and they know the difference between income and cash. It's about Tandin Mumalu, Zui Dagalanga, who's my PA, who's now left with three modules to qualify uh, in her UNISA studies as an accountant. It's about Dagalani Shidada, who I found here as a driver, who's now our ICT manager. It's about Figile Faith Mteetwa, who was reading for LLB, but was our receptionist. I said, what are you doing at reception, reading for an LLB? This does not re- need rocket science. And she immediately went into our communications department, where she could help us with social media. It's about seeing talent, quality, but also potential uh, in other human beings. That's what makes us to be relevant and to use our past experiences to really connect and genuinely connect, not to talk at, yes. but to talk with, and to be able because it's always to listen.
0: Yeah, it's always amazing. Every environment you've been, you literally we go to lunch, which we don't do often, like once every few years, <laughs> or whatever. You come with your driver and the driver will be at the table when you came to Gibbs, we're um, running the board development series. You come with your driver. If I'm having leadership development programs, you come and they sit and they engage. I mean, that's an amazing, and that's a part that a camera doesn't focus on because nobody knows that's what you do. Uh, but I'd like to applaud you. We, we do, the ones that do interact with you, we see that and we really appreciate it. And it's for us to be inspired to do the same.
1: But Imagine the, the pride but the opportunity to learn. Yeah. When you take your driver to the Presidential Guest House, when the president hosts the president of the biggest economy in the world, mm-hmm. Xi Jinping, and sits with you side by side,
0: instead of being sitting in the
1: car, yes, missing out. Absolutely. Yeah. Imagine what ignites in the driver in saying, "I can do this. Yeah. Uh, this is also within my reach." Imagine the exposure. And therefore, the ambition that one finds when you get out of there, it's really about using these positions in a manner that is meaningful. And again, it is pure, simple Ubuntu.
0: But I mean, this is why I also, in my seminars, have high school kids who are part of it. It's the exposure, Mm -hmm. and it's very important to me. Looking at the relationships we have, we cannot deny that we do not all have the same access So when we get into corporates um, and you try and connect and give exposure to opportunities, sometimes it's seen as corruption. It's seen as um, nepotism. Because ultimately, human beings, it's about relationships, it's about networks. But you're most likely to give opportunities to people that you know. Because as they progress, hopefully they bring others. But we, very, we get very marred in the conversations of corruption in this country. How do we break out of that so that we do help each other? We do help each other progress um, and yet not be uh, seen as a corrupt country.
1: It's about the intent. When the US of A, the biggest economy in the world, had an Italian president for the first time, the lot of the Italian people improved. So when you are a woman in a hostile male environment, you live with women, you engage, interact and interface with women, you belong to organizations with women, therefore you know absolutely the best amongst women, you are more likely to fill up that company with capable women, as long as the intent is to put our best foot forward, the difference is saying, I now live in a parliamentary precinct. I'm from Tofim, I've left my mother there, who's looking after my young one. And I'm in Cape Town. And there's a beautiful three-bedroom house. It's wasted. Let me bring my grandmother and my mother and my children. And they come and live with you. And then you say, but I've got vacancies in my own department. 27 of the 30 people I need will come from my family or from my village. That can be right, whether you're white, black, green, or yellow, it can be right. It's about saying, when there's a vacancy in the board, at least eight males, so what are we missing by not having a female voice? We then have the intellectual honesty put the next ad that says we are looking for a woman non-executive director and we go and find the best woman there is it's about being honest about the fact that all of us were excluded on the basis that we are not white therefore when we talk about inclusivity we are really talking about including women and black people therefore when you put an ad that says the Black representations in positions of leadership has moved from 14.4% in 2017 to 14.3 the wrong direction in 2018. We need more black people. And you go out, you actively recruit and want to retain them. It's purposeful, it's deliberate, it's conscious. It's what chapter five of the constitution promises us under equality before the law, that it shall not preclude measures, whose intention is the amelioration of the conditions of people from disadvantaged positions. It's about saying, we know that when you put a smartphone in the hands of women, not only does the health, nutrition, and the education of their own children improve, but that of society and the community, that when women's penetration into the economy is 10 percentage points. That the gross national product goes up by two percentage points. Therefore, going out to look out for the best woman there is—not my aunt, not my niece, but the best woman there is—not the person you, you that will still have to the a struggle. connection
0: with somebody, oh, yes. and that can still be perceived as corruption. But in closing, because I know you have a full day in um, in front of you, and thank you for the time. In closing, what um, words of wisdom would you like to share with, w- with South Africans in the world? Um, just something to inspire us as we conclude 2018, because it's almost the end. Things that you would like us to remember you by.
1: Maybe just one thought on education. Yeah. Because Holissa Nelson mandela said it's the only sustainable way in which we can pull ourselves out of this quagmire. To say we are the only country out of the 54 African countries, from 1957s Kwame Nkurumas, Ghana, all of them focused on education. 10 years later, 80% literacy rates. South Africa is the only one that 20 years into democracy, we found education here and we took it there. That's sad, that's tragic, that's regrettable because when one steadily burns the midnight oil, one gains access. the domain of knowledge and wisdom, the world of meaning, the world that cannot be conquered without a persistent crusade. Let's put all our time, energy and effort and money into education. The 17 million on social security will become zero. The 5.9 million young people, able-bodied, most of them graduates that are looking for work will all be gainfully employed because it all starts with ethical leadership that gives us good policies, which then Allows us the opportunity to attract and retain foreign direct investment, so that the economy grows, and jobs are a logical outcome. Nobody wakes up in the morning to say, "I'm going to create jobs." Everybody wakes up in the morning to say, "Can I meet the unfulfilled needs from the market inside?" If you do that, you name your price.
0: And let's focus on STEM education.
1: That's very important.
0: Exactly. Thank you so much, Wanang. It really it was a pleasure, as always, to talk to you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this installment of Wisdom Personified, Conversations with Dudum Swami. Until next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wisdom Personified, Conversations with Dudum Swami. Please also like, follow and subscribe to our channel and share the wisdom with your friends. I would love it if you could rate and review as well. Wisdom Personified. Conversations with Dudum Somi is also available on YouTube, Facebook Watch, Apple, and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify. Enjoy the wisdom journey.